Uh, well, good evening, everyone, and thanks for coming. Big win yesterday for the Houston Texans, and a big loss last night for Lovey Smith. Officially fired. Nick Casario going to run the search, and two top candidates. I would keep an eye on Jonathan Gannon from the Eagles, Demico Ryan's from the San Francisco 49ers. And welcome back to episode 157 of the Turn Up for What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Air. Will not be very active, but it seems a hell of a lot happened. A pick squandered, head coach fired, a GM search <laughs> up and running, a couple of games won, and a miserable Sunday at home in front of nobody in Jacksonville. But it's all happened. But joining me this week is a returning guest, Mr. Mike Meltzer. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we've been uh, just explaining there's kind of changes in your life. You've kind of less uh, talking about this team, but I think after I repeat myself, Sort of 15, 16 times, I thought, well, Christmas and New Year, we took it off. So. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe things are on the upswing. I mean, I, I do like the list of uh, candidates that they have at least asked for interviews. So there is that. Well, that, yeah. There is that. Yeah, and I think we, we were going to do this Monday, uh, and I had to push it back. So apologies again, you might. But I think actually it's probably done as good because we can kind of get a head start on all the guys and the names that have come out. But we'll... Give a brief interlude before we start getting those guys because I think that's the meat of where we are right mm-hmm. now in this news cycle. But have you kind of how have you processed? Have you kind of got over the fact that they they managed to blow the first overall pick in the draft? They couldn't even be bad all the way right throughout the season. I just I can't really get over the way it happened. Like it's one thing if they had just won the game in the way the first I don't know forty minutes of the game once right because. Got off to a 10 nothing lead. And then Sam Ellinger threw two interceptions. Uh, both were pretty ridiculous plays, especially that one to Kirksey. It's like, the hell are you doing? Uh, I mean, even the one to uh the one that was taken back by Grenard was also a dumb play. But like it seemed like, okay, you got off to a nice start, and it just seemed like the Texans were slightly better, and it was compounded by the fact that Sam Ellinger does not look like he is an NFL quarterback, does not look like he belongs on the field. But then it's like, oh. Pick six, another interception by Davis Mills that's kind of heaved in the air. And then Indianapolis goes right down the field. Then the Texans go three and outs. And then you punch it away. And, and then Indianapolis goes down the field and kicks a field goal. So you're like, okay, you're safe. It's not even like, hey, you're going to get the ball back down by four and you can score. Like it, it, it seemed like it was perfectly set up the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes to where you're like, okay, competitive for a long time. And then you lose and it's like nice and easy. And then somehow, like, they start the drive at their own 17-yard line. They convert third and two. And then obviously, like, all of a sudden you're converting, like, fourth and 12, where nobody's covering Brandon Cooks, of all people. And then the fourth and 20, where you're like, it was one of those few moments I had watching a game when I'm like, did I just actually see yeah. that happen? Because yeah. you you would think that there'd be like more people around that football to try to knock it down. Instead, it's one guy who totally mistimes his jump. And then I feel like even the announcers were kind of shocked that like the ball just ends up in Jordan Aikens' hands. And, and uh, then I think about like the two-point conversion uh, and how many times the Texans have gone for it where you actually needed it in a game that mattered like I don't know, 2019 against Tennessee, or actually not 20, even 2020 against Tennessee when Romeo went for it, uh, and they and they couldn't get it. And like that's the time they get a two-point conversion. But even still, like you had like a slight, you know, what what was there? Uh 
Indianapolis gets it back with basically at 50 seconds or so. Mm. Like that's that's still an opportunity to go down the field. Like if that was Mahomes a quarterback, they would have found a way to, to get down the field, get a field goal attempt. Like you're only up by one in that spot. It's like everything that like it, I still can't fully comprehend how that game was won. Yeah. Yeah. It's my long way of telling you that. Yeah, it was almost like an air of shock. And I, I'll be honest, I mean, and it's not the greatest omission for somebody who's, you know, dedicated countless hours and much of it for pointless uh, or limited return. But I think I, the last couple of games I didn't even watch, um, to be honest. And then I did watch that one and it was reasonably enjoyable. And I thought it was, you know, it was the irony of the two lowest scoring offences in the entire league managed to, you know, put up 30 plus points. Um, but a strange game from... Quintoriano sort of taking it up 30 plus yards up the seam on a drive before he <laughs> yeah. scored. Uh, yeah, he, he's actually looked pretty yeah, decent. Yeah, he is actually. That, that's been one of the positives, I think. And he's, he's kind of come out of nowhere, with, you know, because when you drafted him, people couldn't pronounce his name far as tell you anything about him. So, yeah, sure. that, that is a, a sort of silver lining, I think, in amongst that. Um, but, you know, with, with their, their own player punching the ball out, you know, on the on the first uh, yeah. kickoff return but after like, he scored. Yeah. They had overcome all of that. They had overcome all those weird things to throw the intercept, throw the pick six, throw another one, and then you're, like, you're comfortably down by seven. And, oh, by the way, it's a place where almost any time the Texans needed to win at Indianapolis, except for like one or two times, they could never win. They yeah. could never win except for Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, Jalen Strong broke that that record that for a long time with Brandon Whedon thrown to him. So even that game was quite odd. And then I suppose there was the yeah. game in overtime where Frank Wright went for it fourth. I was there that day. That was very odd as well. You know, he came out the, the stadium pretty exhausted. So I think it was, yeah, I mean, it was an abomination of a, of of handling the situation. I think it was a, a two fingers up from Lovey. But I keep going back to the point and roller over my head that if you thought that was even a possibility that the players would play hard from. And they have done at times and then other times they've looked completely outmatched. Not and not necessarily against better opponents, just, you know, lack of game plan, lack of structure, lack of offensive offensive cohesion. If you thought that was at risk at all, you should have fired him after the Jacksonville game. Empty stadium. <laughs> didn't win a home game all season. If you thought it was a risk of you know, removing the, the your control or your route to the most premium asset you could possibly have in this sport. Yeah. A sport where there's a paradox because you've got players and coaches who push for competitiveness and excellence at an elite level, but yet you also have, which is effectively under the banner of uh, parity, but it's cost control for the owners, but parity comes through the draft and it comes through um, the salary cap. So you kind of have a, a kind of strange, conflicting philosophies of the fans wanting to be first overall and rightly so yep. um, but then obviously the players want to go and win now, that was always going to be at risk but I think that the big takeaway for me is, is less so about who you could have picked but the fact you couldn't control you know your own shit at the time and you couldn't make you, yeah. you, you couldn't remove the risk you couldn't take the right decisions to minimise any negative impact and I think that's just a consistent theme with the Casario era now for me and I, I think I, I, I question them ever more than I ever have done right now well as people always talk about like organisations are the ones that tank and not teams on the field or the court or the baseball diamond or whatever uh, it's all about who you put out there right Yeah. and the question would be like they, the Texans seemingly had their healthiest injury report right before week 18. Like, of all things, when all teams are as beat up as possible. And Brandon Cooks is out there after the year that he has had. And he's coming. Uh, and the, yeah, and the nonsense that he's pulled off. And it's like, 
Like, I, I don't know what you do. I, I guess the only thing you could say is like, okay, uh, let's put cooks in mothballs. Like that, that in and of itself really helps your chances to lose the game. Just because if you're going to move the ball offensively, he'd be a key part of it. And without him, like it's really down to some uh, weak receivers. Um, it, it's hard. It's like, uh, again, if they had won the game, the way it happened the first 40 minutes, the way the game played out, I would say, okay, this is kind of like, they could, like, there's no, there was just no way they could lose to Indianapolis. Like, that's how poorly Indianapolis was playing. But the crazy way that it turned out, I think, is something that's hard for people to swallow. And, and I'm, a, I'm a little bit disappointed that in the press conference Monday and the interview Nick Casario did on Wednesday on 610, like, Nobody really addressed the fans' disappointment about falling from one to two. And I realize it's an awkward question, but I think I think it has to be asked something to the effect of like, hey, listen, uh, Cal, Nick, whoever, a lot of your – we understand you're trying to win. There is a large part of your fan base that is very disappointed that you fell to the number two pick. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I think as well as it's uh... – it's an odd one because I think and we'll come on to the coaches and stuff as well, but I think it's it's an asset to leverage two agents when you're trying to pitch the, why their client would be well placed for you. And I think the the irony is you could have the Colts jump the Texans. Um, yes. And the Bears benefit a benefit you could have had. Off and, and no and to make it worse, a team that you lost to. Um, in rather you know, in rather convincing style. I know it was a late pick, but I think you know they were the far better team that day, earlier in the season. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors in there, but for me, it's the fact that you could have controlled it, you didn't control it, and yep. not only that, your your franchise is worse off. So if you think you could even and 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 this is not about Bryce Young, you know, I, I think you have to see it broader than that. It's more about of course, um, you know, and he might be the best quarterback in this draft. I think there's probably a consensus that he is. He might be the best quarterback in the next three years. People tend to always think the next year's class is better. There's no guarantee about that. There's no guarantee. Any of these guys will, that the, the names that are coming in 24 will continue form, injury, etc. So you kind of got to pick what you can now. But I think not taking a quarterback this year when you're in the top one or two um, is a risk um, for a team that desperately needs one. But regardless if you were sold or not, you lost the ability to trade back, just like you lost the ability of a second round pick um, to fortify some more roster and try to fill some holes by not trading Brandon Cooks. You had him out there despite him making comments about the team making big plays, catching catching touchdowns, you know, and 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 winning you games when you didn't need to win the games. There was no benefit to anybody to win those, considering how bad this team mm-hmm. has been. So, yeah, I think Caserio was interesting. I suppose going for two as well. And I think I heard you say this earlier in the week, Mike, that you know you've never normally <laughs> gone for that if that was a competitive game. If you had to get into the playoffs, what, what? for example, so. yeah. I mean, that, that's what I wonder about as well. I mean, listen, you, you can go either way. A lot of teams will go for two when it's when they score like that and there's like little time left. You can go either way. Like the, the Tennessee example is a good one. I think probably the equivalent situation a couple of years ago and they went for two, Deshaun's pass was knocked down, they lose the game. I could kind of see it going either way because you worry. But like, I just wonder like if this was like you just felt the whole time, the whole time during the drive that if these guys find some way – to get into the end zone, they're going to try to like stick the knife in and go for two. Yeah. Uh, whereas if this was week three, would Lovey have gone for two? Well, he didn't do week, week five. One. He kicked a field goal or he punted uh, rather than kicking a field goal in week one. So, yeah, and that tie like, eventually 
was the difference, <laughs> ironically. Yeah. Again. I mean, and again, it, it boils down to really the quarterback. Like, th- there's obviously a world in which what happened on Sunday doesn't hurt the franchise. And, but, but it all depends on all these unknowable things right now. Like, the, the Texans are probably going to draft a quarterback at number two. That's most likely. But a quarterback, and I've heard, you know, other people talk about it this week. It's not like you rank quarterbacks like you rank running backs or defensive ends or corners. Like typically, a quarterback is like hiring like the CEO of a company. It's not like, oh yeah, we've ranked like you know three people. It's like this is like a huge deal. Like we draft this guy, and you know, fifty people at NRG Stadium, their jobs depend on whether this guy's good or not. And so, is it likely that Nick Casario ranks you know Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud similarly? or Levis or Anthony Richardson. Um, It it all kind of makes sense in my head. It's hard to sort of like articulate kind of these possibilities, but I'm wondering like what set of circumstances do we need for what happened on Sunday to not be a big deal? Because you don't know how this thing thing plays out. Mm. Like it's going to look bad if Indianapolis trades up and drafts Bryce Young and people will like lose their minds. But then there's a possibility that like Bryce may not be good. And then who you pick at number two is going to be good. But you still, ultimately, it comes back to the control. You'd rather have the ability to control everything. And now we're going to be sitting here for the next three and a half months, basically at the mercy of the Chicago Bears, and essentially hoping that the Texans draft board has some substantial differences from the teams that might want to trade up to number one. And specifically Indianapolis, yeah. like that. That's all I can really think of right now. Yeah, and I, I, I suppose if the Bears just don't get the price they're looking for, and then they they just sit and pick, you know, what, they, what if they think well, Anderson's going to be an All Pro level rusher, then you yeah. take him, and then you sit there and you got the pick of the two. That's the ideal scenario. But I, I think. I mean, yes, but I think I think you're right. I think that's the ideal yeah. scenario. Yeah, I think the ideal scenario for the Texans is probably okay. Nobody really loves the quarterbacks enough to to move up a lot for them. Eberflus, the Bears coach, falls in love with one of the two defensive players, and they just grab one to where you would say, okay, well, if you're the Texans, now you still control almost as much as you could have. That would be the best case scenario. If the Bears just stay and pick a defensive player. But even if, like, the Bears in some world stayed and picked a quarterback, like, even that's that might be even more of a disaster (laughs) because – ostensibly they'd be trading Justin Fields in that hypothetical, but they probably wouldn't be doing it to you. Mm. So it's of like no benefit at all. Yeah. But yes, best case scenario is bear stay at one draft, a defensive player. And I, I, th- I think that's, yeah, it's, it's not an ideal scenario, I think regardless, but I think if you're sitting there at, at two, then do you just trade, you know, if you, do, do you trade out and, and hope somebody wants to pay overpay for Jalen Carter, like a great player, explosive athlete, but you know, as a defensive tackle going to solve all your woes or do you use that, you know, turn that asset and a couple of players um, express the risk of your picks. Uh, by definition, they are a lottery. So, yeah, I think we really done ourselves out of that. I think we lost we lost leverage with coaches um, and we obviously lost potential control of the draft and be at the top of every round and what have you. So we'll be 2 and 11, I think, from the, the Browns pick. So, you know, there's plenty to, you know, plenty of equity there this year. Uh, but yes. you touched on Casario's presser. He'll be the man potentially making these calls. Um, there was obviously the Jay Glazer report um, prior to Sunday about potentially both jobs being up in the air. Uh, Sheena Anderson tweeted out as well uh, subsequently in the days after about 
you know, unrest, I think, was the overall theme. I think his press conference, Nick, was really timid and very kind of open in a sense mm-hmm. that, you know, he, he realises that he's not got much more room for error. And I'm glad we finally got to this book because I've been saying this for probably 18 months. That's okay. Like, we live in a high-pressure, we work in a high-pressure environment, the expectations are high, and the, it's about performance. And if I don't do my job well enough, you know, in the end, and quite frankly, you probably think that I haven't done my job well enough at this point, and that's more than fair, at some point, you know, decisions will have to be made. And the only thing I can do is make a commitment to our building, to our ownership group, to our team, to our organization, that we're going to do everything we can to try to um, come up with a better result. Um, I think he's limited in terms of being pro- perhaps an elite, you know, and I think people are good at different jobs and people, different jobs take different skill sets. And I've, I've kind of always been of the opinion, Mike, that I think he's an excellent player evaluator. And so therefore, uh, you know, you'd be a great head of pro personnel um, or college sure. scouting or, you know, personnel in total. But I don't think he's a GM. And I'm, I'm, I've, I've always thought that. Um, I know he's good at negotiating. I know he's good at salary cap. I think he does too much. Um, I think he delegates and he sort of admitted a bit of that in the press conference. So where do you think this leaves Nick and, you know, what what did you make of it? I know his, his tone of the second review in 610 that you referenced also was slightly different the next day. It looked like he'd had a bit of sleep, I think. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't know if he was kind of rattled, but what did you make of the whole <laughs> press and some of the comments he made? I thought it was a bizarre news conference. Was, yeah. uh, one of the weirdest I've seen. Yeah. And, and I think part of it, I, I think Landry Locker pointed this out on his show that, you probably have to also zoom out and think about the headspace that Nick was in. You know, they had just won the game. They flew back. Uh, the next 24 hours are probably not getting a whole lot of sleep because, you know, you're firing the coach that night. So presumably you, like, get back to – I presume you don't do that on the plane. I presume you, like, get back and, like, bring him into an office and do it then. Uh, so you got to deal with all of that, releasing statements. Uh, and then Monday, prior to the news conference, I imagine Nick gets in early and he's doing – exit interviews with like everybody he can uh mm. players coaches and so it's not like he woke up at you know 10 o'clock went down to get breakfast and then he was kind of chilling until the news conference uh he had a lot going on uh and i did think he sounded i agree timid at the news conference like well gosh like if somebody doesn't think i'm right for the job i guess i'll kind of like you know fall on the sword so kind that, of thing which you never hear from a gm yeah, it, uh, and i thought the the tone was different the next yeah. day, for sure. And it was the um, it was the reference to somebody, which I, I don't know if that's a reference to Hannah, because she's obviously, you know, pulling the strings. I think that's quite clear. Um, but, yeah, it was this, you know, it wasn't Cal doesn't think that, the McNairs don't think that, it was somebody. And I thought that was that was quite an interesting choice of phrase as well. Yeah. I mean, my sense is that um, I think Casario is going to be here. Um Unless they hire Sean Payton, which I think is yeah. just statistically unlikely, then I think when you look at the other candidates, Jonathan Gannon, Ben Johnson, Evero, um, Mike Kafka, I know I'm missing a bunch of names, but like they're younger guys. They're like in between the ages of like, you know, 38 and like 45. And I think they're going to come in and work with Nick. But my distinct feeling is that I don't think Casario is going to have that same level of power. And I think that's partially based on what ownership thinks and also part of maybe Nick realizing that, like, okay, we tried to hire Jonathan Gannon last year, and reportedly, you know, Nick wanted to control a lot of that coaching staff. Now, after Cully and Lovey and those failures, maybe he himself realizes, like, hey, I got to, you know, take my hand a little bit off sort of the accelerator on that and Mm -hmm. let these coaches come in 
and bring in their own and bring in their own staff to where there is more of a 50 50 share between more of a balance of power i would say between the head coach and the gm yeah so i say that all to say i think what's most likely to happen is they hire a younger coach and nick's power is reduced but in a good way in a good way in that the coach has more of a say in the coaching staff maybe drafting players uh the final 53 the game day roster and there's more of like an overall power share in the organization um because they also at some point like they need a face of the franchise and the last two years the face of the franchise has been the general manager yeah, which is not healthy and I, yeah and like you know how many other nfl teams can you say the general manager is the face of the team like you could probably say it about new england because belichick is also the gm uh you you could have maybe said it about like indianapolis uh and maybe like one other place but in general it's either the head coach or a player yeah i think when you when he reflects and i, I know obviously that there is sort of kind of the the trodden line that you know the last two coaches were forced upon him and that might well be the case but i think for me is it a case of he hired them out of set of circumstances because i think the what's really different now mike i think is the fact that if you look at this list and I don't know if he reflects upon the previous coach he hired, you know, two older, and a lot was made of being about African-American and, and yep. all that kind of stuff and all the kind of connotations and the, the one-and-done stuff that goes around. But ultimately, the last two coaches were not good enough. One was outdated, one should never have been there. Now, but when you look at this coaching hire, sure. particularly from Sean Payton, who's kind of in a subset of his own, and I, as you said, I don't think that one's likely, but you never know. Um, it feels like that maybe be ownership driven because it's an easy kind of name to point to. But I think when you look at the speed of this process right now and how the names came out quickly, and the caliber of candidates yeah. um, that are you know across the seven or eight names that they've got, there's only five openings right now unless somebody gets knocked out unexpectedly. The wild card potentially happens, but I think when you look at that, the whole thing feels entirely entirely different now. I don't think that's just down an Easterby factor. I think there's a lot of factors at play. But what do you kind of what do you kind of reflect on the on just on how these names have come out, the quality of them, and how the process you know seems promising at this stage? Obviously, how long we go uh but what do you what do you think of just the, the kind of general caliber and and the process so far it looks like they're running a better coaching search with the obvious ca caveat that the coaching search only ultimately comes down to which one of these do you you know do you kind of reel in but unlike the last couple of years where they're interviewing all sorts of randoms i mean that is operating its business properly like here are the people we want to interview we want to interview jonathan gannon ajiro everu uh ben johnson mike kafka D'Amico ryans shane steichen uh these are the kind of names you want to be requesting interviews with uh sean payton i think that was a surprise to a lot of people um that they even requested to speak with sean payton i don't think the texans would have even done that no. in the last two coaching surgeons it looks like an organization that's like hey we have to start to win at some point and we need to run a serious search and so we're gonna go we're gonna shop in the most expensive area of the grocery store because that is what we need yeah and i always find that interesting dynamic because the way in which these interviews are timed while there's still games being played um is is quite sure. fascinating you think really it's weird yeah it should really i mean in my opinion it should just start at the end of the season once all games are finished then you've got the chance to hire the coach 
um, or you know, or it's yeah. unimpeded, or there's a window prior to the playoffs, or what have you. So you fire your coach early, and then once the playoffs, it's a closed, it's a closed book until after. Uh, but when you think of Ben Johnson, who interviewed today, um, Evero, who's meant to be interviewing tomorrow, um, so Shane Steichen, but Thomas Brown, uh, mm-hmm. the Rams assistant coach, uh, former running back, um, big personality, Evero seems like a leader. Ben Johnson, offensive guru. Those three guys potentially have a leg up. Um, because their teams aren't in the playoffs, and that happens every year. So if you're going to wait till you know second week of February to build yeah. the coaching staff, miss out on on the staff, delay in time, and time is just not something this league gives you. Despite you know not playing games till August September, um, I find yeah. that fascinating. But it's it's a great point. Yeah, and I think those three guys yeah, it, potentially have a chance like- to differentiate themselves. Yeah, I think because you have a couple of things that are sort of running against each other. You want to you want to run a comprehensive search, right? Like you want to interview people, you want to get solicit opinions on your organization, even even if you don't hire people. Like you want to go through the process and fully vet these guys. At the same time, you also want to move assertively and aggressively, uh, and that can mean like, okay, um, once I complete a second interview with somebody, do I kind of sit around and wait? Or if I really like the guy, do I say, okay, because to me, the, the big one is when we go from the first, inter- like, we, here's kind of the steps for me. Okay, interview request sent out. Uh, then we start doing, then they start doing the interviews. And then it's like that next part. Once the first interviews are complete, like, who else do they interview? And then who starts getting the second interviews? Because once you start getting the second interviews, you're like, okay, if they're talking to somebody the second time, like, they have to be serious about hiring that person as the head coach. And once you complete that second one, I think that's when it's hard as an organization because then you're like, okay, we've probably gone through everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we probably know if we'd hire if we would hire this person as head coach, do we just try to, you know, pull this guy in or continue the comprehensive search and worry about losing him? What I think that's that's the harder part. Mm-hmm. Like right now is probably the easier part, although I am uh, feeling more optimistic based on what they've done so far this week. Yeah, and I've only well, we've only seen three out of the so many names confirmed, and I think that's that's the key. But I think for me, I just think they can't be last again because they've been last the last two years in a row yes. to, to fill the vacancy. I think yeah, they have been. Yeah, that's right. They have been two, two years in a row. They have been last, yeah. and you can't do that again. And that's probably going to be the biggest learning. You you find the candidate and you be decisive, like you said. And I think you know for me, Evero when you watch him talk, seems like a head coach. Uh, Thomas Brown, yeah. less experience, uh, whereas Evro's the oldest guy, you know, bar Sean Payton in this, and I'm not quite sure about Kafka, he's going to come in as well. Uh, but again, in the playoffs, you know, likely to go out. So Kafka's probably going to come in at some point. Um, but, I, you know, you expect the Eagles and the 49ers to be there, and I think it's a difficult one. Do you have a preference in candidate? And, and it's it's really difficult because I think you you have to f- differentiate between who, yeah. who's a hot coordinator like Ben Johnson or is he it's actually hard, a yeah. leader of men? And I think there's a big difference. There's sure. a big difference in skill sets of what makes a great coordinator or, or a position coach that makes a head coach. Very different skill sets. For me, off the top of my head, I would say D'Amico Ryan's for me number one. Yeah. Uh, two, Shane Steichen, and then three, Mike Kafka. But I say that I'd be fine with Evero. I'd, I'd be fine. I'd, I'd be fine with any, any of these guys. I, I don't. I don't know as much about Thomas Brown because you know he's kind of new to the assistant head coach role. I don't think he's been a coordinator. But the other names on the list, I'd be fine with every single one of them. But if I had to rank them, like D'Amico, because I do think 
even though you don't want to necessarily make decisions on this basis. Like if they hired D'Amico Ryans, you would have a similar reaction to when Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh at the end of 2014. Like it would be after basically like years wandering around the forest, like if they hired D'Amico Ryans, they would throw a parade at the press conference. Like that's what that would be. Yeah, yeah. Like they, like it, like if they, if D'Amico was interested and they hired him, like they would pick the biggest room at NRG stadium and have like a, have a whole deal when they introduce him. <laughs> like that's how they would do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think there's real value because of the lack of buzz the last couple of years, yeah. but it's hard, right? Like, you heard great things about Mike Kafka, only been an OC for a year. Uh, ben Johnson feels like the flavor of the month, but like some of those guys are legit geniuses. Like some of those guys are the next Sean McVay. Hmm. And we just don't know, like, is Ben Johnson a leader of men? I have no idea. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, I know there's some criticism about like how good actually is the Eagles defense. That doesn't bother me as much as because like with the Vrabel thing, wasn't a great DC in Houston. I think he's been a really good head coach. Oh, yeah, so that yeah. part for me with Gannon does not bother me as much. Yeah. I, I struggle to see how you can hire Gannon because what's the, if it was just the staff selection uh, and that yeah. was the big factor, which I, I don't believe that. I think there has to be more than just that there. Um, then how can he come back to the table? One, if the, if the, you know, unless it was a sort of, I said this before, unless it was a kind of, you know, let's revisit this next year. We're both interested, but we agree it's not the right time. Um, and it was kind of the long play. But I think when you go back to something, you could have had him last year, you could have had him this year, he could have had a, you know, he could have built some of the foundations that he may not have with the luxury of time, particularly sure. when your general manager's under, you know, ever growing scrutiny, um, particularly. I, I would, I, here's, what I, here's what I would do. I would throw it in the category of life is weird. Mm. Uh, life is not black or white. Life is complicated, three-dimensional, all of it. Um, and I think it could be kind of relating back to what we were mentioning 10, 15 minutes ago that, you know, maybe Nick Casario, because that's that's the rumor or that's kind of the report that they were going to hire Gannon, but they weren't willing to let him, let him hire his staff. Uh, there were reports, I think, specifically that they wanted him to hire Josh McCown on his staff, which obviously he'd have huge reservations yeah. about. It could be as simple as, like, Nick's gone through the, the year. They won three games and tied another, and they need to win, and he loved Gannon, and he realizes, like, hey, I need to compromise. Yeah. Uh, you know, humans can do that. They can say like, hey, like I I was wrong. Um, we need to hire this guy and I need to compromise some of these things to bring this guy in. Yeah. And I think with D'Amico, I think, so, is the ultimate unifier, isn't it? It's, it's almost a yes. way to, and if he is successful, because I think he is the perfect blend of natural leader, dominant character, alpha, alpha type character, you know, former player, X's and O's, you know, pretty, you know, up there with the elite. Obviously, yep. he's got some great talent there, but you know, I think being a being a sort of decorated player uh, in this history with the club, I think it just it would just tick so many boxes, and you and you would buy yourself time, and you'd buy yourself equity with the fan base that you've not had, you know, probably since twenty twenty. Um, so I think he, for me, he's the you know the, the ideal. But I think if you're him. And I think with a lot of these candidates, Mike, I think it's fair to ask the question, why would they want to come to Houston? I think the answer is that you can build this basically like a house, that you're not buying a house that was built in 1862, uh, that you are basically buying a plot of land that's got you know some foundation that's starting to be built, and you can basically design everything. You want a great kitchen, you want, you know, four bathrooms, you want whatever you want. Like you can build this. 
Um, they've got the number two pick, not as good as number one, but they have the number two pick. They should be in line to get a quarterback uh, either in the draft or free agency, or maybe both if you wanted to do that. And you have a whole lot of equity moving forward here in terms of draft capital. They have cap space moving forward. And I also think that because they fired two coaches a year in the last two, the next coach, I believe, in contrast to what the national media thinks, I believe is almost guaranteed to have a lot of job security mm. because this next coach has to be the guy. So I think that's why the job is much more appealing because you basically have an open avenue and you throw in the division, which I don't think is that good, yeah. obviously. So that to me is what makes the job more appealing, much more appealing than it's been the last two years. Yeah, and I think if you think of the Cardinals, a roster that's you know in tatters and needs a renovation, you're committed to a quarterback who you know I think's proven what he is at this stage. Carolina, um, perhaps maybe one of the more safer bets, but you're going to be under pressure from an owner who wants his success. Yeah, there's and there's no easy avenue if you're Carolina to bring in a quarterback. No. Um, Indianapolis, you're working for a crazy person, a head coach. Yeah. Um, I actually think Denver's a better job than a lot of people think. But yeah, I think the the, the the appeal of the Texans' job is that when you come in, there's nothing that you like. You have to acquire that you have no say in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's that, maybe that's the, the motivation of the shift in Casario, and hopefully that is or can translate to success. And I think that's the key. Who lasts longer, Mike? This next head coach or Casario? That's a question I've been thinking about. You know what? I'm going to say the next head coach. Yeah. I, I think there's a chance that because they've lost so much credibility nationally with the constant coach firings that they're going to be ultra, uh, they're going to be sort of ultra defensive of the next head coach. And maybe he gets more power and Nick eventually leaves. I'll, if, I, if I had to put a bet on it, uh, I don't know what the odds would be, but I would actually lean towards the next head coach. I would. Yeah, no, I think because I, I, I expect the power dynamic to change. I think 100%. I think if you were going to fire Nick you, you, and you want to bring a new GM, you had to do it this offseason. And that doesn't not necessarily say much, but I thought it was an awkward exchange when Gasserio came on the stage with Cali. He looked pissed off at the, you know, when you saw him walking along the sidelines <laughs> with his son. And I think it was, it's, it's a strange yeah, place. That to was be. weird. Yeah. And I think you've got his wife spitting feathers at the back of you know, media conferences and things. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, and she's obviously got a growing influence. There's all these new phrases, all this like accountability, uh, challenge everything, all this kind of stuff that's coming out. So I think it's, you know, and Cal's been involved in the process, which I, I'm, I don't know what he's going to add. Let's be honest. Yeah. I don't know what that yeah. means. Um, yeah. So, you know, you think he should be involved anyway. So I don't know what, where it's going, but it seems like a positive change so far. I think, Mike, the first stage for me is who actually accepts. So we've had three out of these names. Agreed. Um, and then then we'll see who we come in for second interviews. And So in terms of timelines, Mike, when do you expect this to be settled? I would say it'll be settled in two, uh, two and a half weeks. So you've got the wild card round weekend, divisional round, I'll say... The tricky thing, obviously, is I think if there was a Vegas favorite, I, th- I still think it'd be Gannon, uh, and he and the Eagles might play for a while. But I'll I'll say two, yeah, I'll say two and a half weeks because I think that actually takes me through conference championship weekend. Yeah. That to me is the over under two and a half weeks. And you think Gannon? I, I, if I if I had to put money on, I, I would put a few shekels on Gannon. But I'm not. I think I think that he entered 
this coaching search as the favorite, but I think only a slight favorite. I think they are very open to these other candidates. That's my sense from the outside. Yeah, it seems wide open, to be honest. I don't, I don't even know if we'd put money on it. I think Gannon would be the obvious one, but then you're not going to get much return uh, from yeah. your 20 bucks if you put on. So I think it's just, it's a, I, I hope that the 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 non-playoff candidates perhaps have, have a chance to get a, a foot forward, assuming Payton's not in. Um, obviously, D'Amico's the favourite for me, but I think, you know, and, and it will be for most people, but that's not necessarily saying he's the best head coach. And, but I think, you know, I think Denver go go offence. So therefore, I th- and I think, but, you know, te- I can see that. but people often go for the opposite of what they've had. And I don't know if you can count Cully, <laughs> but we've had two, you know, we've had an yeah. offensive coach in O'Brien and then we've gone, you know, so I suppose to Lovey in many essences as defensive. So do we go back to offensive? I don't know. But it's uh, it's to be decided, Mike. I think it's it's whatever we do. I think hopefully, if they shop and get one of these guys, as you said, it's it would be good and it would be favourable. But I still, until the process is done from end to end, I've got no confidence that it could be derailed because we saw that with the head coaching search, we saw that with the GM search, and that you know, and not all the fa- and these to be factor is removed, and that may have been the source of it. But I think there's more than just one man playing in that so there's 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 always forces at play we only see the tip of the iceberg this search could go anyway um it feels like it's in the right direction now but until it's settled and until we're watching that opening presser i'll probably feel uneasy about it i feel very similarly i think i feel more optimistic i like the names i like Honestly, I, I like the assertiveness with, which with, with with which we didn't go to sleep on Sunday wondering, hey, is Lovey going to be able to convince Cal to keep him? No, he's gone that night. Then immediately Monday, you get a list of names that they have request interviews with. I think they're operating this coaching search in a much better, more organized, more efficient, aggressive way. But because the organization has lost any benefit of the doubt, uh, you're not going to be able to have full confidence until they actually name a head coach. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I think they're doing a better job, but they have to finish the job. But they got to go through the process first and then finish it. Yeah, and that's it. And I think the fact that the, the, the pool of open openings right now is smaller, I think, has played in our favor versus previous years. Yes. So um, you have that you have that uh, going for you. Um, we're in need, I think it helps. We're in need of luck. Uh, we're in need of a good hire. Um where it quite ends up, we shall see. Um, but Mike, thanks for your time. Appreciate shooting this around an unusual recording day of a Thursday. Um, but we'll be um, <laughs> sure we'll be we'll be back um, when the head coach gets hired, probably, um, and then a couple of times as off season um, time commitments um, is probably going to be news driven rather than content driven this off season. But hopefully, we'll be talking about a successful hiring process when we come back. Um, but I. Uh, I feel myself drawing a breath as I say that. So let's see. Um, sure. I, you can't trust them until they prove it, Mike. I think that's what we've learned, and I think we're not we're not quite there yet. But I think the fact that we're we're positive about it being functional and normal is uh, it tells you everything where we've been as a, as a fans, onlookers, and uh, media types, and everything like that. I think it's just been. It's been very, very unfunctional. But here we go. Here's to here's to a new dawn of positivity and uh, normality. Um, in terms yes, of, normality. In terms of pro football. <laughs> but uh, thanks to Mike for his time. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, apologies, we'll not be back, but it's just just the way life goes sometimes as things get a little bit busier out of this. But um, we'll be back. Hopefully, talk about a new head coach. Um, and thanks again for listening for the turn up for what podcast. We'll speak to you. Then. Yeah.